You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. But as we dig into this book of Joshua, there's some things I want you to know. That in the book of Joshua, how many of you guys have heard of the story of Joshua? All right, that's hopefully as we, especially as we walk into this first service, that that's something where most of you have heard some of these stories. But as we walk into this story of Joshua, uh, we know that kind of Abraham sets the tone. And Abraham gets this promise from God that his descendants are going to be like the stars from the sky and the, uh, the sand on the shore, which just means that there are going to be a lot of God's people. And God promises him that he's going to give him a land for his people. And so then the story gets passed down, and then we get to Moses, and Moses leads the people out of where? Moses was preached on last week by Micah. Egypt. Okay, we're all tracking. And so they get not to the promised land, but they end up in the wilderness, and that's where the story ends. Moses does not get to see the promised land, but he has a predecessor. He has someone that comes after him, and his name is... Joshua. And there's this song that we didn't sing today that I think we might have missed it because it says that Joshua fit the battle of. You guys want to sing that? All right, we'll move along. Okay. And so that's where we pick up today. And Joshua is about to go into Jericho. But here's how the story starts off. Look at verse one of chapter six of Joshua. The Bible says this. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of, of the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. Securely barred, locked up. I, I mean, if any season we can kind of connect to this storyline of a place that's secluded where when people aren't going out much or in much, it's right now in 2020 by God's providential hand. You can connect intimately to this story. Impossible to get through. And God says, well, I don't really care what the script says. I'm going to do something big because I'm a God of the impossible. And I just have a question as we get started this morning. Why is Jericho, that's very powerful, why is Jericho going to lock down their city from God's people who really, at this point in the storyline, they're just living in a wilderness, and by all practical means, they really shouldn't be that tough. Here's the deal. They're probably not scared of God's people. But I can guarantee you this, they are fundamentally scared of God himself. And so know that you have someone going in front of you if you serve the Lord, and it's God himself in your life. And although they have really no reason to be scared of this people that are stranded in a wilderness and living kind of this ragtag life, they have all the reason in the world. They know when Jericho rests its head on its pillow at night, they know that God can do anything God wants to do, And in their heart, they're living in fear. And so the stage is set with this reality where the walls are closed off, the windows are barred, no one's coming in, no one's going out. By all practical purposes, there's no way that God's people are going to be able to travel through this place and take out this city on their way to the promised land unless God dramatically intervenes. And look at verse 2. Here's what God says. None went out and none came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho. I have given Jericho into your hand with its king 
and mighty men of valor. And here's why that's so interesting to me. Because God's saying something that hasn't even happened yet. And if you write stuff down, just, just kind of put that on a pad of paper on your phone or whatever you have to do, because there's something to that. In fact, we're going to close this message out, and we're going to really hone in on that reality. Because I think that's a word for, I know it's a word for me, and I think that's a word for you. And there's this reality that Joshua's walking in where God is saying something that's already happened, but he's living in a reality where it hasn't even begun to happen because the reality that he's living in is Jericho should be able to wipe out God's people with no problem. But my question for you this morning is this, and you should write this down. What do you do when what you see doesn't look like anything that God has said? What do you do with that narrative? And you could just kind of fill in the blank with your own life. For whatever the reason, there's kind of these things in ministry where everything's going okay until it's not. And there'll be these seasons where it's quiet. And there'll be these other seasons where it's two or three phone calls, five or six phone calls, and it's marriage issues, and it's a, a, a traumatic death that nobody expected. And so for whatever reason this week, that was kind of my week where I'm getting these calls. And people are just, just struggling in their personal life. And I have a question for you if that's where you're at, where you're going through something. What do you see? Because here's the question you're asking. Why are these things happening in my life? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why did I lose someone so early in life? We had that situation happen this week at church where it just, you know, by all practical purposes, it just shouldn't have happened. On paper, it doesn't look like that situation would happen, and it did. What do you do in your life when you're living with this reality? When what you see doesn't look like anything that God has promised. God makes the promise, and it's going to take 14 more verses for the walls to fall. But pay careful attention to how this starts unfolding. Because here's the plan that doesn't look like a plan that any of us would have if we were God. God says, you shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. All right, so you're going to march around the city, and then what are you going to do? You're going to go home to your camp. And you're going to march around the city, and you're going to go home to your camp. And for six days, you're going to follow this script. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And then the Bible says, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. This is not one of those kind of miracles in Scripture. This is a massive, impossible without God. No one's going to question his power. No one's going to question his sovereignty. No one's going to question that there's any other way this could have happened. And God loves doing stuff like that unless God does it himself. And so he's unpacking all of this for Joshua. And just, just let's be very transparent as we read this text together. How many of you, if you were going to take out Jericho, would use that game plan? And so what he does is he gets God's people to march. And we're going to read that in a second. But as he does it, he has a praise band that joins him. Seven days this is all going to take place. 
And I think the reason God chooses such an unusual game plan is just for that reality that no one's going to say when this is over that anything could have happened outside of God's plan. And so they're just marching around this city day in and day out. And I have something very special for you that I'm going to present to you that someone gave me on my 40th birthday. Don Snow, they're actually moving, if you didn't know that. They're moving in a few weeks. She got a job at Mayo. But uh, before I even knew for sure that she was moving, on her, my 40th birthday, because she's kind of a nerd and like this historian, she actually got me. This I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This is from Israel. And this is the horn that the priests would have blown. Okay, and so just, just put this mental picture in your mind. Um, I've had different back and forths in my head of whether or not I will try to blow this horn. <laughs> and, and then I thought about, like, COVID stuff and, and you guys. And, and you trust me on this, the youth pastor in me, everything wants me to go full bore with this thing. But I'm going to pass. But I, I just want you to see this thing. And in fact, because of everything going on in the world, you can't come use this thing either uh, after church. This is off limits. But, but she gave me this thing, and I thought, remember one, I thought, man, this is gorgeous. It's like sterling silver. It's supposed to be what it actually would have looked like, and it was made in Israel. But I, I want you to think about it through this lens, that Joshua's game plan by God was to march around a city, and the walls are going to crumble. Man, I want to blow on this thing right now. Do it. No, 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 no. No, no. No, I, I really, pro- no, I'm not going to. But the walls, <laughs> I'm a promoter. I'm a promoter. The walls are going to crumble when the priests start blowing on this horn. And I, and I just want you to see it because this can serve a lot of purposes, but a wall crumbling device, it is not. This is the weapon of choice that God sets the stage with. And I'm just going to place it on the stage so you can admire it. That's the weapon of choice for him to do what he wants to do so that no one can live in this reality that there's any way this thing can happen outside of God's plan. And so now Joshua is going to let in the people to the plan, and they're going to execute this strategy. Look at how the story unfolds. In verse 8, it says, as Joshua, just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The praise band is in full effect. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. So it's just this annoying sound. Trust me, this thing can be a bit annoying, but it's going on continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall, not, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall you any word go out of your mouth. Until the day I tell you to shout then, you shall shout. And so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. And so they would go and they would make their walk and the praise band would play and then they would come back to their camp. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The Bible says, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually 
And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, right, that's just day one. And it gets quicker, so don't worry. It's not going to take too much longer. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And so they did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on day, that day that they marched around the city seven times. And so this story just keeps going on and on and on. And you can just get this kind of picture in your mind. Go to, go to the next text. And on the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. No one in their right mind would have ever thought of this type of game plan. And I just want to walk through this idea with you. How many men in here are married? Happily. Okay. Online. Maybe you can raise your hand higher if your wife's not by you. I want you to think of this storyline through this lens. That as these things are taking place, that these men are going to war. They've been wanting to fight this battle for quite some time. They're fired up. And they go around the wall. And the best part of the story is this. That each night they go home. That each night they go back to the camp. And who's probably sitting there? And I'm not a historian, so I don't know. Maybe you like look at the story and go, well, actually, history would tell you that they, I don't know any of the details. This is just me imagining, okay? The Bible doesn't really say. They go back to the camp, and let's just pretend, because I think it's probably true, that their wives are there. And the reason I had you raise your hand if you were a married man is you know how the story goes. What happens every day when you get home from work? Your wife asks you this question that seems pretty simple, but really it's kind of loaded. And if you don't answer the question appropriately, you can get her ticked off in a hurry. And she makes this statement to her husband, who has been busy, hopefully, taking out this city. She says this. You guys know what she says? She says, how was your day? Right? He says, well, you know, what would you do? Well, you know, we walked around Jericho. You walked around Jericho. Well, then what did you do? Well, the priest had this horn and, you know, horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then what would you do? You're a warrior. What would you do? Well, I came home. (laughs) Think about it, this unfolding. Day two, what did you do today? Well, we marched around this wall, and the priest and the trumpet, this and that. That came home day three, day four, day five, day six. And here's what's so unique to me. Joshua, in the first cluster of verses that we read, Joshua gets the script, you guys. It's day seven. It's game time. It's all going to pay off seven times around the city. When I'm reading this story, I don't see that promise for those people that were following him because God talks to him and then he talks to his people. They don't know if it's day two, day three, day four, day 50, day 60, day 70, whatever. All they know is that they are given a task to march around this city and do exactly what God has called them to do. And it could be day 250, but they're leading with some blind obedience where they're saying, I'm going to follow God no matter what in my life because he's faithful to me and I'm going to do what I'm told. And that is so powerful to me 
that these guys are going to go home, talk to the wives at camp. No one's going to understand this game plan, but what they're going to do is they're just going to walk in faith, and they're going to say, I'm going to choose to follow you, God, no matter what. And the Bible says, on the seventh day, Man, so many of us cut out on day three or four when God's promises are on day seven in our lives. On the seventh day, the walls are going to fall, and that's exactly what happens. But what I want us to do this morning is just to walk in a few things. In fact, if you're a kid in this room, your Sermon Bucks notes, which are going to pay off shortly, we're going to cash those things out for you in our first season of Sermon Bucks Cash Out, and it's going to be better than the price is right. But there's, there's going to be a few things that I want you to just fill in here, and it's the same for the kids as the adults today. And the first thought is this. This is true in my life. This is true in your life. And more importantly, this is true in the narrative of Scripture. But we're going to put it on the screen, and it's going to be there for you online or in downtown. And I just want you to see it this morning. Number one, there is usually a gap between the promise and possession. True or false? That's true. And in that gap, that's where we fall off. Verse 1, God makes a promise. The walls are going to be barred up. Verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hands. Now check this out. We just read it. Verse 16, days 1 through 6. Going back to the camp, talking to your wife about how your day went. Verse 16, the Bible says the walls come crumbling down. When we sing about this song as kids, we don't really focus on days one through six. It's all about day seven. But here's what I know to be true as I've now passed my 40th birthday in life, that there's usually a gap between the promise and the possession. When God promises something, it's 100% of the time. But when you want it and when he does it, are you tracking? Those two things don't always line up, do they? Because usually there's a gap between the promises of God and when those things sometimes come to fruition. And so what do you do? Here's the question. What do you do in the gap? Well, that's where things get a little bit tricky. That's where I've had some phone calls this week. That's where I don't have a quick, simple answer that's going to make you feel better in the immediate because what I've found to be true especially when you've been through some trauma, is that the best thing that you can do in the gap is to remain faithful and pour out your heart to God. That's all you get sometimes. But the good news is that's all that you need. And the second thing I want you to write down is this. I'm going to show you a little physical example of what I think this looked like. But here's what I want us to walk in in this text. Number two is this. God is at work all seven days. God is at work all seven days. It's not just day seven like we think about in this storyline or we sing about as kids. That God in his providence and God in his sovereignty and God in his foreknowledge, knowing kind of everything that's going to happen in the script of your life, in the script of Joshua's life, in the script of the Old Testament as it prepares the way for Christ himself, God is at work all Seven days. That's his promise to us. That he didn't just somehow go, you know what, we're going to take fulfill these minuscule tasks, but eventually we're going to get to day seven, and when we get to day seven, it's going to be pretty good. Because I don't know about how you tick, 
And I think I know how Joshua ticked. This would have been, I know especially how God's people that didn't even know the end of the game plan would have ticked. But if I was Joshua, anyone have a weekly planner? Anyone still do that or is everyone virtual now? I'm old school when it comes to weekly planners. I like to see that thing in front of my desk and I write in my chicken scratch. And so I just want to kind of show you what Joshua's weekly planner would have been like because I think it looks a lot like your weekly planner if God gave you this plan, uh, game plan. And so I had Kaylin write this planner because I knew if I did, you wouldn't be able to read it. But if I was Joshua, you know what happens when you give a competent woman a task? Look how much better it looks than if I would have done this. It's so pretty and awesome. But I kind of led her in maybe what to write down. But this is Joshua, and I can relate to this. If God gives you the seven-day plan and you're anything like Joshua, it would have been like this. Day one, march. Day two, march. Day three, march. Day four, march. Day five, march. Day six, March, and we don't have a Saturday, Sunday, so we just put the weekend. But day seven, take out Jericho. And so he would have looked at all of these things, wrote them in his planner. And I don't know, for me, it's like if I'm on vacation, I just love doing this. Vacation, line through the day. I'm not putting like 9 a.m. this and 10 a.m. that. That's for you anal retentive people that need some counseling, right? I'm just going to put March on my calendar. God looks at this thing so much differently. See, in God's planner, he has a purpose for all seven days. This is God's planner. Number one, these are just arbitrary. I just wrote them down or had Caitlin write them down. I'm not saying this is like in the Bible, but this is how I see it when you read between the lines. Day, day one, it's like I'm going to teach these guys patience. Tuesday comes around, he's working on the hearts of his children. I'm going to teach him how to persevere. Day three comes around, I'm going to teach them some obedience, and then I'm going to teach them some trust, and I'm going to teach them how to have faith. And, and day six, they're probably getting worn out. And I think day six is a special day. And I, I, I just kind of put yourself in this situation, and I'm just interpreting the way I see this story. So you can maybe do that a little differently, because God's word's perfect and my words are not. But day six, for me, I think they're thinking something. Day six, they're probably marveling at the power of God because they've had six days to march around a wall. Look at me when I tell you this. This is important. They have six days to march around a wall that's structurally sound. And the only weapon that they have to combat this wall is from the priest. And day six, I think they're noticing something that maybe they didn't notice on day one. This wall cannot be compromised. This wall was built by competent hands, and by day six, they're seeing the power of God that's going to need to take place in their life because they have seen that there's no way that wall's going to crumble. Not one brick falls days one through six, and it had to be discouraging. And on day seven, the script changes because on day seven, I'm going to take out Jericho. God has a seven-day perspective. God sees, write this down, God sees the first six days as way more than just a means to an end in your story. God's not just trying to get to say seven because days one through six are irrelevant. And the reason that's so important is because that stuff that you're sitting in that you don't necessarily want to be sitting in, that broken relationship or that loss of income or that sense of loneliness that you have, whatever it is, God is using it. I'm not saying he's creating it. But God is using it for his glory and to you, for you to be drawn in closer to himself. Number three, write this down, and this is how we're going to leave this place. 
God's not just trying to take you somewhere in this seven-day process. You're like, seven days, man, it's been ten years. Just follow the narrative. God's not just trying to take you somewhere. He's actually making you into someone. God's using all seven days in this storyline. They're going around this great city. And they're learning about the character and nature and the heart of the God that they serve. They're leaving this place by the time the walls do crumble with not just a physical victory. Check this out, you guys. They're walking out of that situation with massive spiritual growth. God is not only taking you somewhere in the midst of your march. God is making you into someone. And here's what we know a long time later in this narrative, that God's sending his son. And his son is perfect and sinless and goes to a cross and dies in your place and then rises from death. And the story doesn't even end there. You get Jesus in the here and now when you surrender your life to him. And you get Jesus for all eternity as you surrender your life to him. But the story doesn't even end with his resurrection. The story literally ends with Christ, which hasn't happened yet, coming back for his bride. And he's not just taking you somewhere, he's making you into someone, and he's what he's making you into, God himself is making you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's the promise of this text, it's a foreshadowing of the gospel, and Jesus Christ is worth it. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your marching, Jesus Christ is is worth it because he's not just taking you through a process, he's making you into someone and he's making you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And like we end every week, and sometimes I even get teased about it at this point, 10 years in, do you know Jesus? Do you know this Savior that's worth it in the seven days? You might feel like you're a ship without an udder and you don't even know what's going to happen the next day. Here's my challenge to you. Right off the cuff, I didn't plan on saying this, just march. Just march. God's going to give you day four tomorrow. Just march. And the promise of Scripture is that no matter the struggle that you're going through, God is using this struggle, and he is going to tear down not only physical walls, but more importantly, he's breaking down spiritual walls. He's doing that in your life. He's done that in my life. Spiritual walls of pride. Spiritual walls of independence. Spiritual walls of holding things to a tight clenched fist and saying, God, you can have these compartments of my heart, but I get this. God is saying, no, that doesn't work that way. I'm going to tear down walls, but before I ever tear down the walls of Jericho, I'm going to tear down the walls of your heart, and it's going to happen through the process of the march. Let's pray. Jesus thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithfulness that you place on our lives where we can say, you are good when we're marching. You are good when the walls are tearing down. You are good in all things. And our job is to march and obey. And it's about all seven days. We love you, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone that Jesus that doesn't know you, that hasn't surrendered to you as Savior, that right now in their heart they would confess that they're hopeless without you.
they've been trying things their own way and that they're broken. That they would believe upon the fact that they're a sinner in need of saving and that you died on a cross for their sins and that you rose from death so that they can have life. And even right now in this moment as their world is just really confusing, they would hold to the one thing that they know to be true, that you are the Savior. We pray that you would usher in salvation into this place, online, downtown, and in Rock Creek. Have your way, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.